Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Uh, welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Uh, today, I'm, I'm delighted to be joined by KT McFarlane, who we all know was uh, Deputy National Security Advisor for President Trump, uh, served in the Pentagon with uh, for President Reagan, and is author of a terrific book, uh, Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. Uh, I'm also delighted to be a fellow board member with KT of, the, of, of CPAC, American Conservative Union, and uh, KT will be joining our, our lineup on the CPAC Now channel uh, in the not too distant future. And so we're delighted to have her, uh, her on with her, her insights and, and all the smart people that she knows to uh, help us learn about the world. So KT, welcome. Well, it's just wonderful to be with you on your show. And I'm really excited about starting my own show on, on the CPAC as well, because as you point out and what you've done with your podcast and with your show, is to you have the access and the ability to talk to people that the average person in the country doesn't get to to hear from either because they're not going these people don't go on cable news or they don't have podcasts but they are the real thought leaders and so that's what i'm very excited about doing it's more of this long form interview to talk to the people who real who everybody else is listening to well that's uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm very much looking forward to that and your show uh, well let's 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 jump right in there are a couple issues on my mind that are the issues du jour i think i mean one as we speak uh, putin has stepped up his uh, campaign and in, in ukraine and is now sending uh, missiles into into cities all over the country uh, and the other issue is that the the chinese are holding their congress next week and uh, President Xi is likely to be anointed as a, as an, as president for life, and that has tremendous implications for national security. And I think KT, as you've you've often pointed out, China in the end, in the near future, looms a lot larger than Russia. So, but let's start with right. Ukraine and and where, what what what's going on now, and where do you what what's Putin hope to achieve? Well, it's, it's worth pointing out that both the Chinese president Xi Jinping and the Russian president Vladimir Putin. They've got the same sort of mindset problem. They think that they have been designated by fate to restore the greatness of their nations and that they personally want to achieve this during their time in office. And they're both in their 70s. So the clock is ticking. With regard to um, Vladimir Putin right now in Russia, he, he's so desperate that he realizes that he cannot stay in office or probably even stay alive if he has to return with Russian forces to Russia in defeat. He can't be defeated in this. He will escalate to whatever point he needs to because in his mind, he is Russia. So it's not just him personally, he is Russia. He cannot accept defeat. So what does that mean he's likely to do in the days and weeks ahead? Well, I think he escalates. And one way he's gonna escalate, he started to do it and he'll probably do more of it, is to attack civilian sites. So not just by accident hitting a hospital, but deliberately targeting civilian facilities, schools, hospitals, the places where people go to the daily shopping mall, that's where he's going to go next, because that's all he's got left to bomb. The other thing he's likely to do is to, to really um, rattle the Europeans. Now, he's already um, not going to give them oil and natural gas for the winter months, shooting the price up, 
probably pushing all of Europe into a severe recession. But the other sort of warning shot across the bow he's fired is that there, uh, two weeks ago, there was underwater blasts of two gas pipelines. Yeah, Nord now, Stream. Nope, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Now, yeah. nobody's sort of taken credit for it, but everybody realizes it was Russia because Russia had the ability to do that because these gas pipelines were not doing anything for Russia. They weren't delivering well, why, oil Why anyway. would he do yes. that, though? Because he could have just turned off the, uh, the spigot. He didn't need to blow it up. Yeah, was that but a, by blowing that, it up, Was that a symbolic absolutely. message that he could blow it up and therefore he could well, blow other things, things up? One thing is, is a symbolic message because guess what's lying right next to those yeah. gas pipelines undersea? It's all the fiber optic cables, which means all the communications in Europe. But the other reason he did it was he could then go to his own people and say, see, I told you those Americans, they're invading. This isn't us invading Ukraine. This is America invading Russia. And what better example do I have than those Americans blew up the gas pipelines. In other words, a false flag operation, because mm -hmm. he knows that his war is becoming increasingly unpopular in Russia. He was supposed to win this thing really quickly. It was going to have no problems for the Russian people, and they were going to be great again because they would have all of Ukraine. That's not what's happened. So I think that if for a whole lot of reasons, it points to Russia doing it. And by doing it again, he gets two things out of it. He gets some bragging rights at home that, oh, well, let's all rally around the flag. And then he also has made it pretty clear to the Europeans what the consequence would be. The third thing he's threatening now, and this is the one that's really scary, is potentially using tactical nuclear weapons. You know, I've studied Vladimir Putin for, I don't know, 30 years at least, going back to his graduate school dissertation in the 1990s when he left the KGB. He's not a subtle guy. He tells <laughs> you in advance of what he's going to do. Yeah. And whether it was to invade Ukraine, whether it was uh, 10 years ago to invade Crimea, um, whether it's Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Now, what he said is a couple of things that are kind of scary. And he said this in the last two weeks. Number one, he said, you know, America ended World War II quickly, yeah. decisively by using nuclear weapons. So he's already saying, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll end this war decisively. The other thing he's done, um, which is equally kind of scary, is that by annexing the four eastern provinces, of Ukraine, which aren't really under his control. What he said is that these, these areas of Ukraine are now Russian. So any attack against them, we will sovereignty. assume is attack against Mother Russia as a sovereignty thing. So in a weird way, crazy as this sounds, I think he's almost looking forward to an escalation and to a, a European response because that keeps him in power at home. Well, and at brought, this point, he has nothing left to lose. Yeah, well, he's brought in uh, uh, General Sergei uh, Surakovin, right. who's known as the, who, who did the bombing air and land campaign in Syria. And mm -hmm. uh, he's known there, I guess, that his nickname is General Armageddon. And yeah, so he's he, a butcher. He, yeah, he's going after civilian sites. So, you know, that we've moved, we, we, we've escalated this. You mentioned it's unpopular in Russia. It's, it's, it's getting very unpopular, I would think, and grow will grow more so this winter in Europe. Yes. And 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 here here in the United States, I mean, I think there are a lot of us that feel like it's time to wrap this thing up and try to bring yes. it to a negotiating table. You know, Trump's big beautiful table. Um, I think uh, Trump's <laughs> now taken to calling him a warmonger, Biden a warmonger, and I, I I agree with him. I do too. You know, what it is, is the sort of leftover neocons, the sort of war wing of the Republican Party, you know, any war, any time they're in favor of. And then yeah. the Biden neoliberal internationalists who keep insisting, well, Vladimir Putin needs to be punished for this. He needs to be rolled back. 
And anybody who's saying, like you're saying, like I'm saying, like Elon Musk is saying, like Trump is saying, look, maybe we better find off ramps for everybody here. Maybe yeah. we better have a negotiated solution. And those people are criticized. Well, you must love Vladimir Putin. You must think this is okay. No, none of us think this is okay. We all know it's Vladimir Putin's fault. But I look at the bigger picture and, you know, we do not want this to escalate. And you know, I, I listened to President Biden's interview um, the other day. And uh, he said, well, I don't think Vladimir Putin's going to use nuclear weapons. Okay, yeah. great. I don't think he is either. But it's not the odds I'm concerned with. It's the stakes. What if he does use nuclear weapons? Where is that going? And President Biden and others have sort of blithely said, well, then we're in World War III and then we're in Armageddon. I personally think we ought to look for a lot more off ramps before we get to that. How, how do how do we bring how does how do we bring pressure on the Biden administration? You know, from day one, they've been bent on regime change with with uh, Putin. You know, some of them still actually believe their own yeah. own cooking that uh, you know Putin and Trump <laughs> were hand in hand, and by getting rid of uh, Putin, somehow they they continue to punish Trump. It 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 seems lunatic to me, but. Who's the uh, uh, Victoria Newland? I think is yes. in there guiding all this, and she's a she's Ms. Regime Change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't do regime change very well, and I think we're likely to find out we're not going to be any more successful this time than we have in the past. Yeah, and if there's regime change in Russia, what's the guarantee that the guy who comes in next is is sort of a right. peacenik? You know, he's probably going to be more hawkish. He's probably right. going to be the guy who says, well, we're going to win this war at any cost. Look, I, I think that we still have time for solutions. And here's what I would propose doing. Number one, Jesus, stop this war on American fossil fuels. Right. Let America um, use oil and natural gas, not just to fix our own economy, but to fix everybody else's economy. So we could, we could be the energy source of Europe. And at the same time, the prices of oil and gas will go down. It'll bankrupt Russia. So Vladimir Putin may want to continue this war, but he won't have the money to buy the weapons he needs, and he won't have the money to pay the 300,000 conscripts he's got. And then the second thing is, you know, what happens after uh, the war stops, if we have some kind of negotiated solution? I play the long game, and the long game set looks like this. Russia and Ukraine stop the fighting. You know, everybody gets a little something, nobody gets everything they want. But then five years out, the West will immediately right. rush to rebuild Ukraine. And within a couple of years, Ukraine will be so integrated into the Western economies and to, into Europe that, that no way Russia can come back for another bite of Ukraine. And meanwhile, five years after the fighting stops, where's Russia? Well, they're just as broke as they would be with oil and gas prices low, and nobody in the world is going to rush to rebuild Russia, not with Russia being a pariah nation at this point. So how do we get Biden, the Biden administration to start getting, bringing people together and, and, and getting about it to a negotiated solution? I, I know that both France and Germany are beginning to talk about that's what mm -hmm. ought to happen. Um, how, do, how do we, how do, what, if, if, you, if you could force the issue, how would you do it? Well, I don't think he's going to listen to you and me, Bill. So I think that <laughs> President Biden and Victoria Newland are getting their advice elsewhere. But one thing would be if the Europeans would pressure them. Uh, another thing is if, look, if this election um, means that the Republicans take the House and the Senate, one way to force the Biden administration to put pressure on the Ukrainians and the Russians is to start cutting budgets. Um, all this you know, special aid to Ukraine costs a lot of money. And maybe one way, the only way to get their attention is to say, look, we're going to we're going to knock the knees out from under you unless you pay attention, unless you push both countries to a negotiated solution. 
you know, you're going to be out there on your own. So I think that the, the combined pressures will be there. And, and because I sure hope so, because I think for the first time in my adult lifetime, and Bill, I, you know, I, I studied nuclear weapons at MIT. I taught nuclear weapons at MIT in the 80s. I was in the Reagan administration. I even go back to the Nixon and Ford administration. So I have a long 45, 50-year-old career. And I have never been as nervous about the threat of escalation to the point where it runs out of everybody's control as I am right now. Well, and you know that tactical nukes are not a not not different degree, but not in kind from from regular nukes. And you can't, you know, people starting to say, well, you know, the wind won't blow towards NATO, and therefore it won't be a uh, an escalation. I I hate just like I hate counting on what's on Putin's mind. I hate counting on the direction of the wind. I mean, it's it's yeah. You know, we're you so know, what's, when I was at. So when I was at MIT, one of the first things you learn studying military and, and, and weapon systems is don't look at the capabilities of the weapons. Don't, don't look at the attitude of the leader or what he's saying, because that can change overnight. There's an election, right. there's a coup. Look at the capabilities of that country, of the military capabilities. Don't look at the intentions because the military capabilities can't be turned on overnight. And I'm looking at the military capabilities of Russia of Europe, of the United States right now, and of China. And I'm saying, we got enough problems on our plate. We do not need an escalated US-Russia war. Why? Because the only country that wins that war is China. Well, let me digress. Let me veer into something a little different. Uh, you know, our nuclear triad, the submarines, mm -hmm. the B-52s, the ICBMs, Right. We've been neglecting that for decades. And so we're not, you know, we, we act like maybe we have all this capability. I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure I'd want to go toe to toe. I mean, we, we're, we've been so neglectful of that, acting as if that were never going to be used. Now that we're coming to that point, I wonder what we really have. Well, you're right. This triad is composed of, of submarines, which can launch missiles to our adversary, airplanes that can drop bombs, and missiles that can go from ground to ground. So those three kinds of weapons, we have not modernized or um, or sort of done the next generation on it. But I'm more concerned that what we haven't done is missile defense. Now, right. I was in the Pentagon when President Reagan gave the Star Wars speech. In fact, I wrote the first draft of that speech. I wrote the part nobody cared about. But when President Reagan challenged the country and he said, you know, American scientists and American military experts, we could maybe build a missile shield that would protect us against incoming Russian missiles of any variety. And you know, Reagan started it. There was an, a little bit of interest in funding early on is probably the one thing that convinced the Soviet Union to surrender in the, in the, um, in the Cold War because they knew they couldn't do it. They weren't sure we could do it, but they knew they couldn't do it. But then now over the years, any real funding for serious missile defense has gone by the wayside. We should, we should have that missile defense, whether it's to help our European allies, to help our Asian allies, or really to protect the United States. How does this affect what we're doing? I mentioned China at the outset. They've got their Congress coming up. How do you mm -hmm. see this playing out with them? And would a raising the stakes in uh, in Ukraine make it more likely that they uh, they go after Taiwan while we're uh, distracted? Well, I think they're sitting on the sideline. I've taught this from the very beginning, going back to February um, and the Olympics when Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping met to talk about their plan for the future. And Putin said, I'm going to go for Ukraine. And I, we've got to assume the Chinese leader said, well, I'm going to go for Taiwan. I think the Chinese at this point are sitting back with a bag of popcorn and they're watching the movie to see how on this unfolds. You know, China 
historically for thousands of years doesn't necessarily invade countries. It just wants to conquer them economically and in other ways. The only difference, so I think with time, probably the, the Taiwan situation would have, would have worked its way out. It's a much smaller population. There's a lot of investment across straits. So Taiwan invests in, or Taiwanese companies invest in China's companies and vice versa. The problem is that Xi Jinping, who will be declared emperor for life in just a few short weeks, yeah. he needs, he wants, his pledge to himself is to get this accomplished, not in 10 years or 20 years or 100 years, but in his time in office, which for a 70-year-old man, you know, is drawing close. So I think he's, he will precipitate a crisis there, not necessarily a military crisis, but it could be an economic crisis or a blockade. And I think he's going to say, I'm not going to do what Putin did. That didn't work out real well for him. I think I'll try a different tack. Well, you know, the, we put some, it, I was surprised, but it turns out the reports out of China is they fear these semiconductor uh, rules we mm -hmm. put in place, restricting exchanges of technology and supply chain uh, interrelationships. They 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 think it might really hurt the Chinese semiconductor production or and technologies and R and D and and you know you look at Taiwan Taiwan is 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 uh, is is at the apex of a lot of that I mean does that mm -hmm. change the calculation at all? Sure, and here's how it does. So the United States, our engineers, they invent the best chips in the world, but then they're all made in either China or most importantly in Taiwan. So. Taiwan makes like 95% of the most advanced chips and exports them to the world, which is one of the reasons that China is so interested in Taiwan. Now, not only for national bragging rights and historic purposes, but there are two really important other reasons that China wants control of Taiwan. One is the chip industry. If China controls Taiwan, then China controls worldwide electronics. That means China controls you know, the technology and economy of the world. And then the other reason is, its position, Taiwan's position as an island in the Western Pacific, that Taiwan, from Taiwan, China could project power and really control the entire Western Pacific all the way to Hawaii. So it's a military reason, and it's an economic reason, and it's a historic reason. And sadly, I think Xi Jinping feels the clock is ticking. Well, um, it's an exciting world we're in. <laughs> I'm glad you're here to explain <laughs> it. And I hope we get a chance to get back in, uh, in charge in a couple of years and, and try to bring about some, some of these sensible long-term policies that you're recommending. And you're right, I mean, engaging in, in, in a energy, becoming the world leader in energy uh, production, particularly fossil fuels, uh, is the key to this. And uh, it seems mm -hmm. to me, uh, uh, that's long term, we've got to do that. And you know, unfortunately, the Biden administration, every single agency in government seems aimed at uh, shutting down the fossil fuel industry. So uh, there's a, there's some sort of a reckoning ahead. And uh, maybe when that starts shaping up, you, you and I can talk some more. Of course, now you, we're all going to be in CPAC now together and we can uh, right. we'll go back and forth every okay. few weeks. But I agree uh, with you. Energy is the key to all of this. You know, America... Word. America, we have the energy that we can power the world with cheap, clean, abundant American natural gas. And that's what we should be doing. It'll fix our economy. It'll bankrupt our adversaries. And frankly, it'll be extremely good for the environment because countries and companies will switch from dirty coal to clean natural gas. KT, thank you.
Thanks for joining me. And uh, as always, thanks for, for, for taking in the Bill Walton Show. We can be found on all the major uh, podcast platforms, YouTube and Rumble and Spotify and iTunes with the, uh, the usual lineup. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this show should be airing next uh, next Monday night on CPAC now at seven o'clock. And I uh, hope you can take it. I hope you'll enjoy it. All right. So thanks so very much. And uh, we'll, we, we'll talk with you soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been okay. a pleasure. Great, KT. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.